0: I'm sorry if episode 51 was a bit of a shock to the system. But it is quite important because what's going on in these models is really mathematically... Well, it's in a sense advanced, but it's certainly large scale. And we wouldn't be able to deal with it at all if we didn't have the mathematics of tensors to help us. But I'm not going to talk about that again let's talk instead about what lies at the heart of it all and i am extremely indebted to a great video that one of the leading lights of machine intelligence has put on the internet on youtube a guy called Andre Karpathy hope that's how you say it and i recommend it it's called rather modestly let's build GPT from scratch. And of course he doesn't, and he doesn't pretend to, but he does basically lead us, take us through the whole of the programming process. And he explains it considerably, in considerably more detail than I've been able to do because obviously he works in the field professionally. I just like to draw attention to a few things and the main one, is to say a little bit more about this whole notion of attention. We've mentioned it before, but he has a a nice take on it. And he adds quite a lot of detail to the outline that I've published in previous episodes that I think's worth visiting. One of the things that he points out is that the tokenizing process, we rather passed over what happens to these tokens once they've been produced, but the tokenizing process does more than just produce a string of numbers. Each token, I think I've got this right, outputs two things, what's called a key and a query. And what the token is trying to do is essentially a bit of matchmaking. It's saying, this is what I am. Figuratively, I'm a a noun, and I'm looking for a verb. Or I'm looking for an adjective. Or if I'm a verb, I'm looking for an adverb. Or if I'm something else, I'm looking for a conjunction or a preposition. And essentially, it encodes this by saying here I am in the sentence. This is just decoding, this is just looking backwards and not looking forwards. He has a rather nice phrase where he says the reason we don't look forwards is because if we allow the future to influence us it may tell us the answers. (laughs) Uh, uh, I'm sure not really quite true but but it's a nice way of saying you don't want to take too much account of the future because the future may, I suppose, queer your pitch. It may it may lead you in a direction you don't necessarily want to go in. And the mathematical way that you do that is to create a triangular matrix where half the elements above the leading diagonal are zero or minus infinity, in fact, because that effectively eliminates them, and those are the things that come from the future, from the right-hand side of the sentence, what we call the bi-directional bit, if you remember, the things that come after the word, which you ignore in a decoder, because you've not got there yet. So these tokens output these matchmaker things. They're a little bit like putting your Profile on Tinder or something, and saying, I'm looking for something that's a noun or a verb or an adjective. And then the keys get compared. I'm not going to talk about the mathematics, but they get compared with all the keys and the queries from all the other tokens in the hope that they'll find somebody that they match, quite literally. In other words, I'm looking for an adjective. Lo and behold, here is an adjective. There might be many adjectives. Let's see which of them fits best, according to some criteria. And so when you've done that comparison, you then say, right, we need a verb. So I took the knife and presumably what comes next is a verb, although of course there are many ways in which it need not be. And we're going to get a heap of candidates. And the candidates will be cut, struck, sliced, through, dropped, or you name it. Almost any verb can be put there with some justification. And so our, our tokenizing so far has produced these two things that will, as you might say, reach out to all the others and look for what looks like a good match. And what is a good match and how it's measured, of course, that becomes quite technical. And I do recommend the video, particularly if you're into Python and PyTorch and that kind of stuff, because it's very clear and hes he has all the qualities of the great teacher. He's modest, he's clear, he's amusing, he's authoritative, he's painstaking, he's detailed, but not too detailed. And he certainly makes it all sound a good deal easier than it really is, of course. But, but I really recommend it wholeheartedly. And at the end, he ends up with something which doesn't work. So, so he then says, oh, all right, so I've been trying to get this decoder to do Shakespeare by feeding it some Shakespeare... And it did actually occur to me when I saw that, well, if you can get it to do that just by feeding it a bit of Shakespeare, I wonder what would happen if I was to feed it all the stuff that I've written in my life. I wonder whether it could cope with that or might even produce something that looked vaguely as if I'd written it. I don't know, I might try, but not today. Um... so you get this, and, and it doesn't look—it looks like Shakespeare, but it isn't Shakespeare, and it quite obviously doesn't make any kind of sense. So he says, this is right towards the end. It's a two-hour-long video, so probably best done in small slices. Right at the end, he says, "Okay, so you've got this trained model, this GPT model, and you've done all of the pre-training on vast quantities of digitized text." But now, he said, and this is the bit that OpenAI have not made public, or at least the details on it, the parameters, the views, now, he says, we use this model and we fine-tune it. And if you look at the OpenAI's chat GPT web page, they have a diagram with three columns. And the first of those is fine-tuning, and then they have a sort of peer review process where they look at the output that ChatGPT gpt actually produces this is before it went public, of course and they get their staff, trained staff and probably some untrained ones to say which of the output they think is best and which they don't like and what's wrong with it and you continue with that process and you also narrow it down from being a general decoding text completion algorithm come neural net which is what it is as you might say after the pre-training and before the rest of the process you narrow it down from that state which produces a lot of gobbledygook albeit reasonably english looking gobbledygook to something that does what you want it to do and As we said before, but allow me to repeat in case you've dipped into this without hearing any of the previous episodes. The sorts of things you can ask it to do are text completion, where you give it the beginnings of a paragraph about something or an essay about something and ask it to finish it. It can do summarization, where you give it the whole of something and then say, right, can you write a precy, as we used to call it when I was a kid, 500-word precy, or you don't tell it the length, it decides for itself usually. You can have translation, where you give it something in one language and ask it to find an equivalent in another language. And there are various other things that you can do as well. So at that stage, you need to nail it down. You need to say, all right, well, this is all very well as a totally general purpose gobbledygook generating GPT a piece of software trained on 570 gigabytes of digital text but we don't want gobbledygook we don't want it to fly off wherever it feels like we want it to do what we want it to do answer questions or complete text or translate or summarize or any of the other things that it might be expected to do or able to do and so that's the bit that open AI haven't made public it's not exactly the clever bit it's all clever but it's the bit that has turned it from being a generator of gobbledygook into something refined reliable and that of course a very large number of people are already using in all seriousness to generate stuff. And we'll come back to that because I'm still conscious that I promised you a what are the downsides episode. I still haven't really done it. So thank you for listening.